So Thanksgiving. Were you thankful? That's good. Obviously, for, for the Christian, Thanksgiving is not a holiday. It's a lifestyle, right? I mean, you can't be a real Christian and not be thankful. Um, because you deserve God's worst, but by His grace and mercy, you have received His best. Um, it's truly hard to fathom. I hope that colors your day when you wake up in the morning. I hope you wake up in the morning and you realize, you know, you should have been dead yesterday. You should have been judged yesterday. But God has showered grace and mercy upon us. Um, what a blessing. If uh, thankfulness is not our preeminent or predominant mindset, I think, I think our theology's our theology's wrong. It's, it's, it's jump theology. It's not biblical theology. This morning, as we have been doing for the last few weeks, we will continue to look at Yahweh. And I will say it once again. Um, you must reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. I don't want you to ever forget that sentence. I hope it becomes part of the fabric of your daily life. When I wake up in the morning, I will reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. Today's not truly about me. It is about my Creator and my Redeemer. This is hugely important for us to remember on a daily basis. We've been looking at God through a series of questions. And yes, I'm going to go through the whole series one more time. I, I, I may not do this again, um, but just so it's on tape one more time. For people to hear, this is what we've been talking about. Our first sermon was, Why Anything, Why Everything? You already know, for the glory of God and the joy of the elect. Is he worthy? That was our second sermon. Is he worthy? Well, God says he is. That's enough for us. He says, there's nobody like me, Isaiah 46, 9. Will the fault finder, our third sermon was, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? No, we put our hands on our mouths. We understand about the potter and the clay. This fundamental, elementary uh, proposition that a Christian fully understands. I'm the clay. He's the potter. If I have to, I put my hand over my mouth. Next we ask, do you think lightly of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience? And we said, yes, we do every day. Unless we are astonished every day that justice doesn't come because the wages of sin is death. I shouldn't still be walking around. But I am. We asked next, who, who has known the mind of the Lord? And of course, we said no one. His judgments are unsearchable and they are unfathomable. Then we ask, is anything too difficult for the Lord? No, He is immutably sovereign. He does whatever He pleases, however He pleases, whenever He pleases. We delight in that. We delight in the sovereignty of our God. And last week we asked, to whom then will you liken me, says God? And we heard the angelic beings echo in the heavens, there's no one like you, there's no one like you. There's no one. And I think maybe, at least maybe for me, maybe not for you, but I, I'm going to say it one more time because it, it means something to me. It impacted me. Um, this, I'm going to do a kind of a composite uh, C.S. Lewis, John Piper quote. These, these sentiments have meant something to me for many years now. And I just want to share them with you one more time. God is vastly greater than you could ever imagine. God is more glorious than you could ever imagine. He's more strange than you could ever imagine. He's more dreadful and terrifying than you could ever imagine. And His absolute freedom, rights, and power as the Creator sometimes stun us. These are all true statements. You know, and, and I fear that the homogenized evangelical world has lost much of that truth that I just shared with you in those three sentences. It's happy church. 
And it's therapeutic, church. It's about you feeling better about yourself. Not here. If you're going to feel better about yourself, we want, it, we want it to be because you're getting a look at God and you realize who you are before Him. Right? We, 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 if we're going to feel good about ourselves, we want to do it in a biblical way. Right? Not because, uh, you know, the pastor's my life coach and he makes me feel good about myself. I'm not your life coach. I'm never going to be a life coach. I will open this up and tell you what Yahweh says. And I know that the other, other elders will too. So, this morning, we look at God through Moses' question. You heard Joe read the text. It comes out of Numbers 23, 19. Has God said, and will he not do it? Well, of course he'll do it. If he said it, he will do it. So there's at least two truths we can tease out of this question, I think, which is the focus of the sermon. Is God and his word trustworthy? Is he trustworthy? Is he a promise keeper? Is he faithful? Can he be believed and can he be depended upon? Is he reliable? The second thing I think we can tease from Moses' question, is God good? Which you know the right answer. But the question before us is, is Yahweh blameless and upright and moral in his character? Is he benevolent, charitable, and kind in his purposes? The Bible's very clear about these things. As I was studying this week, 1 Samuel 3, 19 came to my mind. It's not a particularly prominent text, but I always remembered this. You may remember that God had called Samuel into his service, and he would not let any of Samuel's words, meaning the word of God is God's prophet, he would not let any of his words fall to the ground. If God says a thing, it will not fall to the ground. It will come to pass. I always loved that text. And I think I shared this one with you last week or the week before. I don't recall. I always loved when, when, when God kept that promise to, to the exiled Jews as they came into the promised land. Joshua 21, 45. Not one of the good promises of the Lord made to Israel failed. Amen? So at the outset, we categorically receive God's word to us. His promise is good. I love what my mentor, Jim Elif, says. His promise is good, and he's able to do everything he needs to do to bring it to pass. No one can stop him. No one can stop him. Again, immutably sovereign. Tonight in our attribute study, we're looking at God's faithfulness and his goodness. These are two of my favorite chapters in the book. And I just want to say to you folks that are not attending on Sunday night, I just want to say that I do recommend the book for you to read on your own. Again, if you have any questions, come to me. It's, it's grown-up theology. You know, it's full-blown biblical theology. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, even if you don't or can't come to the, come to the uh, Sunday night service, then please get the book. It's on Amazon, The Attributes of God by A.W. So I want to start this morning with a true story. Some of you know this name, George Mueller. He was a famous 19th century minister in London. And I'll just say to you, if you've never heard of George Mueller or you don't know much about him, I would recommend this little beady paperback. Mine's about, I don't know, 30 years old or something. It's a mess. Um, yeah, the front cover's gone. Uh, the Autobiography of George Mueller. It'll change you. It'll expand your view of God's faithfulness. In 1835, Mueller was confident God was leading him to open up an orphan house. As you know your history, you know that London was full and England was full of orphans at this time. And he read this promise. You got to love this promise. Karen and I claimed this promise when we went to Milan on faith. You have to love this promise. Psalm 81:10. God says, open your mouth wide I will fill it. Don't you love that promise? Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. That day in his journal, he wrote this. This scripture came alive to me today, and I was led by the Holy Spirit to apply it to the orphan house and ask God 
for a building for a thousand pounds and suitable individuals to take care of the children. Okay, we're six years in. He's probably got two to three hundred orphans at this point. He will get to the point where he has two thousand at a time. He probably has two or three hundred. I'm going to read an excerpt from his journal, February 8. 1842. Okay, he's got two or three hundred miles to feed. He says, there's enough food for, in all the houses for the, for the day. But we've not been able to buy any bread, and there's not enough money to buy milk tomorrow morning. Coal is also needed in two houses. Indeed, as far as I know, we were never in greater poverty, but I am fully assured that the Lord will not leave us. Now, I, I just, I could stop there. Are you fully assured the Lord will not leave you? I hope you're fully assured. If you're not fully assured, come talk to me. And I'll bludgeon you into believing. I'll verbally bludgeon you into believing that the Lord will not leave you, that you would be fully assured. That, this evening, this was a, an evening excerpt from Mueller, that same day, February 8th. The Lord has not yet sent us what we needed for tomorrow. Now, this guy's got to go to bed, and he doesn't have any food for his two or three hundred orphans. The Lord has not yet sent us help. Before 9 o'clock in the morning, um, we need more money to be able to buy milk. Truly, we have never been poorer. And I love this. We've got to remember this. Through grace, my eyes do not look at the meager supplies or the empty purse, but to the riches of the Lord only. Amen? I've said this to you a lot. I know Brad's... Brad and, and Joe have taught this as, as well. You know, we, the, the true believer doesn't look at the problem. We look through the problem. And Mueller was always looking through the problem. He was looking at a God who does whatever he pleases, however he pleases, whenever he pleases. We'll come back to Mueller later. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 7, 9, and 10 to you. Moses writes, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation, which is a Hebrew way of saying, it's a beautiful poetic way of saying forever. With those who love him and keep his commandments, but he repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. Now I want you to notice obviously two things here with respect to this Deuteronomy passage, God says that he's faithful to both his promises and his what? Threatenings. He's faithful in his blessings. He's faithful in his cursings. This is something that modern Christianity doesn't talk much about. Yes, he's faithful in his promises, but he's also faithful to judge those who are in rebellion against him. His words of, of, of judgment are not an empty threat. He will bring it to pass. Those who love God will receive the fullness of His blessings. Those who hate God will receive the fullness of His wrath. And those of you who are biblically literate, you know that it's the context of wrath in which the, the most famous Bible verse about his faithfulness is found. Who knows? In the context of wrath, we, found, we find the, the most famous verse about God's faithfulness. Who knows what text it is? Anybody? Anybody know what book it's in? Ever heard of the book of Lamentations? God is ruthlessly, relentlessly judging Jerusalem. It's horrible. And in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is writing about it. God is judging his people for high-handed sin in the form of the Babylonian army. You know, there are many passages in the Old Testament where God simply says, I will have no mercy. I will have no compassion. I will not hear their, their cry to me. Why? Because he's faithful in judgment. He's faithful in judgment. We need to remember this, beloved. Here's a few verses or a few phrases from the book of 
Lamentations, just so you get the sense of it if you haven't read it. Most of you, I'm sure, have. These are just a few selected words. There's loneliness, many widows, forced labor, bitter weeping. There's none to comfort. There's defeat. There's exile. There's affliction. There's harsh, harsh servitude. There's mourning. There's desolation, groaning, bitterness, captivity, homelessness, calamity, ruin, slaughter, terror, death. This is God in His wrath. And you remember, likely, because I used to get questioned about this on occasion, you probably remember those unforgettable passages about women eating their own children. Boiling them and eating them. Lamentations 2.20, Lamentations 4.10. If you don't believe that's in the Bible. Shockingly, in the midst of this dirge, for Jerusalem, we find this beautiful remembrance of God's faithfulness to His people. I know you know the text. I know you have to remember the text. Right before Jeremiah writes this beautiful text, he, he writes right before this, he says, I'm filled with bitterness. I have forgotten happiness. My strength has perished. He's hit the wall. It's as bad as it can be. None of us have ever witnessed what he was witnessing, but some of us have hit the wall too, right? We've had those dark nights when we can't cry anymore. But God is bringing his judgment on a rebellious people. But first, before I get to that text in Lamentations, I want to go back just real quick to uh, Psalm 81. In that beautiful promise that Mueller claimed, Psalm 80, 110, open your mouth and I will fill it. I was shocked when I read the next couple of verses. You know, I had forgotten this. Because he makes this great promise, right? He, God makes this great promise. And in the very next verses, it says, But my people did not listen to my voice. They did not obey me, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. This is always bad news. When God gives a people over, it's over. There's no coming back from that. He gives them over. This is why what happens in Jerusalem is happening. And there's that shocking verse, Psalm 80. 115, you know, the Lord drove this home to me when I wrote the book Dangerous God a couple years ago. This verse, it just was in my consciousness. And, and Psalm 8115, those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him. Their time of punishment would be forever. There's something that there's something about people pretending to worship him. God absolutely hates it. This is pervasive in the Old Testament. He's very clear about this. He hates the pretense. He hates it. And again, it's a verse that the Lord used, has used quite a bit in my life as I contemplate this as a pastor. Don't come in here and pretend. Don't be a pretender. Don't do it. It's the worst possible thing you can do. Now, if you're a seeker and you're... you're uh, you know, you're, you're really here to, to learn and to hear about God. Yes, come. Come every Sunday. But don't come in here and pretend. Don't come in here and be bored. This does not please the Lord. In fact, if we understand just, if we just have average comprehension skills, we understand that this incites him. That brings me back to Jeremiah. He was filled with bitterness. He'd forgotten happiness. My strength has perished, he said. And three verses later, before his outward circumstance has changed, his inward perspective began to change. Why did that happen? Because he knows Yahweh. Right? He knows Yahweh. He knows it can be as bad as possible, but he also knows it can be as good as possible. He knows Yahweh. He knows what the Lord has promised. I want to say this to you. I've said it to you in this series already. It helps me a lot. Jeremiah would not let his circumstance dictate his view of God. He let his view of God dictate his view of circumstance. This is hugely important. Hugely important. 
when we roll out of the bed in the morning. So in the midst of God's faithfulness to judge a rebellious people, Jeremiah begins to meditate on God's faithfulness to those who love God. You guys know the text. Jeremiah, pardon me, Lamentations, Lamentations 3, 21 and 23. Make sure I've got that right. I do. 21 through 23. Okay, it's as bad as it can be. Listen to him. Then I remember. Then I remember. And it goes unsaid. I remember God. I remember Yahweh. I remember all the promises he's made to his people. Yeah, he promised to judge us. If we sin with a high hand and he's doing it, he's also promised good. So he remembers. He says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Nothing's changed outwardly, but it's all changed inwardly, right? It's in my heart. My, the hope is in my heart. It's in my mind because I know Yahweh. The Lord's loving. I love this. You got to love this. I, ne I never forget when somebody pointed this out to me. It's not the Lord's loving kindness. What is it? It's the Lord's loving kindness says. <laughs> I was probably a Christian five years before anybody pointed out, before I picked up on that. They're manifold. They never stop. They just keep coming. Kindness says, the loving kindness says, indeed, they never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We were going to sing great is thy faithfulness, but it was too high for some of us, so we didn't sing it. The Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope in him. Okay, it's still as bad as it can be, but he's preaching to himself, right? Man, I know you may not be a preacher by vocation, but you have to be a preacher to live the Christian life. You have to preach to yourself every day. You're supposed to preach to yourself every day. You know, Brad and I tease each other a lot. It's like, God made us preachers because we're so weak. You know, if we're not in the Word every day, we'll definitely be in a ditch. We need the discipline. We got to have the discipline. You got to preach to yourself, beloved. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. So, so, so Jeremiah remembers that his circumstance is not primary. What's primary? What's primary? God. God's primary. Not what's happening right now. God is primary. And I'm going to look through what's happening right now, and I'm going to remember what God has said to me. I'm going to remember the promises of God to those who love Him. He's keeping His promise to those who hate Him, but He's also going to keep the promise to those who love Him. Jeremiah is delighting, beginning to delight. Even in the midst of, of all this Calamity. It's right thinking about God. Right thinking about God. Thinking worthy thoughts of Yahweh. Right? I hope that's something that this series helps us to do. To always think worthy thoughts of Yahweh. Romans 8.28 wouldn't be written for 600 years. But Jeremiah didn't need it to be formally written. He knew God. He knew God. And in knowing God, he knows that Romans 8.28 is logically necessary. It naturally will follow from the character and person of Yahweh. You guys know the text. God will cause all things to work together for good to those who love God, those called according to purpose. It's as bad as it can be, and he's believing it. Now, all of us who profess to be Christians will have opportunity. We won't stand where Jeremiah stands, but we're all going to stand in a trial at some point. Many of you already have. And God expects you to just believe in the faithfulness of God. You can't see the faithfulness of God right now, but He surely expects you to believe it. And I just have to say, all of you guys know this. If, you're, if you have any biblical discernment at all, there's no question that our nation is in the midst of a Romans 1 judgment. It's over. In a theological sense. You know, and I always hear people say, well, God might bring revival. Well, I don't think he brings revival once he gives a people over. God can, I, I don't have all knowledge, I'm not omniscient. 
But once the judgment begins to fall, I don't think he brings revival. That doesn't mean he's not saving his people in the midst of what's before us. God will always get his people. God has been faithful to give this nation over to a depraved mind and a reprobate mind. I watch the news and I think to myself, it's Romans 1. This is Romans 1. How could anyone think that? How could anyone believe that? How could anyone do that? How could anyone praise that? It's a depraved, reprobate mind. The culture's been given over to a reprobate mind. There's simply, in my view, no argument about that. I was listening to MacArthur on this, and he, talks, he, he mentions Romans 1, 28. He says, you know, it's just a verse in the Bible, but, but, he, but John, he, he kind of went off on it. He said, they do not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Amen? It's just, it's just the country live, we live in. So we know we're in the judgment. God is faithful to judge. We're in it. Now, I think we're on the front end of it. It's going to get worse, I believe. Now, you may disagree with me. That's fine. You know, I don't pretend to be a prophet. I think it's going to get bad. And I'm glad I'm an old man. Because I'll probably be gone before it really hits the fan. But I don't know. As fast as we're descending into the pit. Okay, just a brief survey of God's faithfulness in the Bible. So, I'll send you my notes. I'm not going to, you know... I'll try to not go too fast, but, but if you want these verses, email me. I'll send you my notes. God's faithfulness in the Scripture. Again, I'm going to go back to Numbers 23, 19. Has God said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? This is obviously rhetorical sarcasm. Of course he will. Of course he will. And I want to read Deuteronomy 7, 9 to you one more time. I love this verse. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His promise and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation, meaning forever, to those who love Him. Do, here's, the, here's the question. Do you love Him? That's really the question here. Do you love Him? You can be assured that He will keep every promise. It's as simple as that. You know, again, Christianity is not rocket science. Not rocket science. To those who love him and keep his commandments, Psalm 36, 5, your loving kindness, O Lord, extends, I love this, it extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. This is a Jewish way of saying it's immeasurable. Your faithfulness is immeasurable. Psalm 89, 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. It's the Jewish way of saying it's ubiquitous, it's omnipresent, it's always there. It, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the atmosphere, right? It's like the air you breathe, it's just there. The faithfulness of God is. Psalm 146, 5 through 6. The psalmist says, My hope is in the Lord God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. He keeps faith forever. Isaiah 11, verse 5. Righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. I think this is a Jewish way of saying God never goes anywhere without his faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, you know this, right? He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. <laughs> I love that. He is who he is, unchangeably so. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And I love to use this word. I use it all the time. He's invincibly faithful. No one can challenge his faithfulness to his people or to his enemies. His faithfulness will be worked out in each life. The enemy, those who hate him, and in his people, those who love him. If God has said it, you can take it to the bank. It will happen. It will happen. 
But the book we're using to study in our on Sunday evenings is written by a theologian named A.W. Pink. He says this. I like this sentence, this, these few sentences. Far above all finite comprehension is the unchanging faithfulness of God. He never forgets. He never fails. He never falters. And he never forfeits his word. To every promise, every prophecy, every covenant, and every threatening, he will make And in talking about God's faithfulness to sanctify and discipline his people, Pink writes this. God is faithful in dis disciplining his people. He is faithful. I love this. You, you have to love this. I hope you think about God like this. He is faithful in what he withholds. Some of you are wondering, why is God withholding this from me? Why is he not giving me this? Because he loves you. And he's faithful not to give you anything will, that would get in the way of Romans 8, 28. You know, and what's that next few verses down? I don't know, is it Romans 8, 30 or whatever? That, that he's going to bring you into conformity with his son. Those two things. He's faithful in what he withholds no less than in what he gives. He is faithful in sending sorrow as well as in giving joy. Amen? Don't we know this as mature Christians? Don't we know this? Don't we delight in it? If we have to cry all night long, isn't there a comfort in knowing that Yahweh is with us and God, Yahweh's doing something? We're not just abandoned. You know, the world will tell you you're abandoned. The unbeliever thinks you're abandoned. Where's your God? Well, be sure to tell him he's on his throne and he's faithfully working discipline in my life and or sanctification. I will be like the Son. I will come into conformity with the Son. Why? Because God's faithful. Not because I'm a good Baptist, but because God's faithful. That's why. That's why. So let's spend our last few minutes looking at the goodness of God. The Bible makes a couple of distinctive points here about his goodness first obviously god is good in his person his nature and his character just a few psalms again if you want my notes i'll be happy to send them to you psalm 119 68 the psalmist says you are good and do good psalm 52 1 the goodness of god endures continually psalm 86 5 for you O lord are good abundant in loving kindness. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 106, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And you know what Jesus told the rich young ruler, Mark 10, 18, no one is good but God. No one is good except Yahweh. And I know we hear it in the culture. You probably hear it between your ears. Anytime you hear that God is not good, you're being lied to. You're hearing Satan and his surrogates. You are being lied to. Anytime you think God is not good, your wicked heart is lying to you. You need to rebuke yourself. Have you rebuked yourself lately? It's a good, it's a good, you know, Karen and I sometimes, we'll get a little sideways on something and she just turns and walks away. I hate when she does that because I have to rebuke myself. Because I know if she turns and walks away, it's probably time for me to rebuke myself. It's a good practice. It's a good practice. If you think God is not good, your wicked heart is lying to you. You do not entertain that thought. We simply do not entertain it. Why? Because God has told us different. Pink says, God is not only the greatest of all beings, he's the best. He's not only the greatest, he's the best. I love that. He's perfectly, infinitely, eternally, unchangeably, beautifully good. I don't even know where I got this quote. I didn't, I should have put it, put it in my notes. I've been saying it for a couple of years now. One theologian says, he glitters with goodness. Now, I don't know where that came from. I hate when I do that. I don't know who said that. But I liked it. He glitters with goodness. 
And we know the world at large thinks God is anything but good. Men, as we've talked about in this series, they love to accuse God and blame God. But I'm only five pages into my Bible, and I understand what happens, right? <laughs> it's not because, you know, the world's not messed up because God's not good. The world's messed up because we rebelled against a good God. Amen? We all, we, this is fundamental principle, foundational, biblical understanding. You know, we have to be able to talk about this out in the world. Why is the world so messed up? Well, it's not because Yahweh's not good. Because we're not good. And there's a ton of theology there. We all know it. I'll just summarize it with Jeremiah 17, 9. God says the heart of man is what? Who knows? The heart of man is what? Desperately sick. Desperately sick. And we remember what Jesus said. It's from the heart of man that evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, deceit, wickedness, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and all foolishness proceed. Secondly, the Bible tells us all that God made was good. You can go read Genesis 1. There's a there's an unending chorus there. It was good, it was good, it was good. Verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25. And you get to verse 31, and God saw all that he's, he made, and it was very good. It's very good. According to the Lord, everything God made was good. But God was particularly good to man, amen? Particularly good to man. He made us in the image of God. This is the man is the only creature that God talks like this about. Man would relate to God as no other creature would. We have the capacity to know him, relate to him, and love him. Genesis 1, 26, 27. God made man in his own image according to God's likeness. Now, if you go to Genesis 3, you know where the, you know the fall. You know about the calamity we brought upon ourselves. Why did it happen? There's probably a number of ways to answer that. But in light of the fact we're talking about the goodness of God, it happened because Eve and Adam doubted the goodness of God. Satan planted that thought in their mind. Well, he's holding out on you. You should be able to eat from that tree. You're a victim. It's exactly what Genesis 3 is about. It's about victimhood. And anytime you think you're a victim, Satan's laughing at you. Why are we not victims? Well, the Bible's made it clear, right? Because we're usurpers. We're rebels. Every one of us. Maybe something bad's happened to you, and, 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 and that's unfortunate, but, but really, principally, before I'm a victim, I'm a usurper, and I'm a rebel. That's what defines me. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Genesis 3 is all about doubting the goodness of God. Beloved, just let me say, there's great peril in doubting the goodness of God. There's great peril for your soul in doubting the goodness of God. Thirdly, let's consider God's goodness and how he designed us. I know Brad's talked to you guys about this stuff a lot, and it always puts me on my face um, when I think about how God has built us and designed us. You guys know the great text, Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Did any of you give any thanks for that Thursday? When was the last time you thought about any of that? The endowments. Just the gifts of God. The endowments you have. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. When was the last time you really thanked him? It's an interesting question for us. I know it's true of you because it's true of me. Maybe you're better than me. I don't know. Probably some of you are. 
But it's just so easy to take this for granted, right? We just get up in the morning. We start running on automatic. Oh, I see. Oh, I can think. Oh, I can hear. Oh, I can, you know, put a, a coherent sentence together. Oh, I can type something in my computer. Oh, I can call a friend. Oh, oh. I can feel things. I can love things. I can dream things. And we just take it all for granted, right? It's really inexcusable. So I challenge, as I challenge you, I challenge myself. It's really inexcusable. Think about God's goodness to us. We touch, we taste, we smell, we see, we experience great pleasure. God could have made you without any of that. He could have sustained you without some or most of these things. As I just mentioned, what about the mind you have? You can think, you can believe, you can hope, you can invent, you can create, you can imagine. You know, it's like, it's like I, think it's, I think it was Einstein. Everything's a miracle or nothing is. Listen, everything's a miracle. You think you just wake up, you think you're just born with this mind, this, this, this incredible tool that you have, and you can feel all these things, and you can, you know, you can get lost in, in your lofty thoughts of God. You think that's just an accident? You think that's something not to be thankful for? My, my hope is, as God convicted me this week, my hope is that you are convicted too. We need to be thanking Him for these amazing endowments and attributes. God could have made you without giving the ability to experience love and joy and happiness and ecstasy. We need to behold the goodness of God in our own being. David is right. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then he makes a subsequent point that's huge for all of us. And I just made reference to it. You remember what he says? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows it very well. This is why the creation is attacked. It's an attack on your soul. It's, it's an attack on your purpose. It's, it's an attack on, on your creator. I love that Brad does the fun fact for faith. I mean, you know, it just highlights the glory of God and what he's made and how he has provided for us. And he, he, I want to say this, as I had that thought about, you know, my soul knows it very well. This is the, in my view, this is one of the fundamental or central differences between a believer and an unbeliever. A believer knows it. And, and in knowing it, a believer builds his life around that. This awesome creator who's been good to me in uh, me as a, as a, as a creature. And I, this is how I process life through this, through this prism, through this reality. The unbeliever, the unbeliever doesn't do that. He's never really thankful. Not really. You know, I hear people say, I hear people in my own family, I hear people say things like, oh, I'm thankful to the universe. You know, the universe didn't want that to happen, or the universe didn't want this to happen. You know, it just makes me want to kill myself. Not really. But it's like, please, please, let's not be so stupid. Beloved, if you, if you, become, if you work hard to become a thankful person, if you're a Christian, I know you are, but I mean to work at it, I mean, I mean, I mean, to really work at it, to let it be the, the, the principle and pervasive mindset that you have, your whole life will change. Your whole life will change. Again, A.W. Pink writes, God's goodness is seen in the variety of natural pleasures. God might have satisfied your hunger without those onion rings tasting so good. Man, we go to, we go to Gadwall's. Don't know if y'all been to Gadwalls. 
I like gadwalls. But the thing I like best about gadwalls, I used to dream about gadwalls onion rings and best. Now, if you haven't tried them, you should go try them. You can report back to me. They are the best. And I always make sure, I always tell the waitress, I need a whole jar of ketchup on the table for my onion rings. So, simple things. But God could have satisfied our hunger and sustained us without taste buds. You guys know this. Brad's taught you this stuff. You guys know it. This is not rocket science. Pink says, God not only gave us our senses, he gave us what gratifies our senses. Psalm 33, 5, the earth is full of the goodness of God, down to the onion ring. Psalm 145, 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his so God is good in himself, he's good in his creation, he's good in the endowments that he has given to man. And fourthly and briefly, God is good in his providence, meaning his administration of time and history. Just a couple of quick verses, Matthew 5, 45. For God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we talked a lot about Romans 2, 4 a week or so ago. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? God is good in his providence. He sends rain on those who love him, and he sends rain on those who hate him. And he is exercising unfathomable forbearance and patience that many might come to repentance. So God is good in his providence. And I won't even begin to touch on the last one because not that there is a last one. That God is good in the salvation of his people. We'll talk about that. And we'll develop that more fully subsequently as we get into God's grace and mercy. So we left Mueller in big trouble. He's got to feed two or three hundred kids. He doesn't have any. So I'm going to read from the next day, the next morning, he wakes up. It's February 9. Mueller writes, I went to the orphan house to see whether the Lord had sent anything. When I arrived, I found that he had just sent help two or three minutes earlier. A brother was on his way. A brother was on his way to work when the Lord put the orphans on his heart. The brother said to himself, I cannot go there. I'll be late for work. I'll take something later. Nevertheless, he could not go on to return and bring three sovereigns to the orphan house. The Lord, in his faithfulness, helped us. Help was never more truly needed, nor did the help of the Lord ever come more obviously from him. His timing could not have been better. Praise the Lord for his goodness! Exclamation point. Praise him that he helped us trust in him in this trying hour. Can you imagine going to bed at night with 300 miles to feed with no food in the house? I love this guy. I want to be like this guy. I want to grow up. Mueller talks about the fact that uh, he never really disliked these kinds of times. He said, this was the time, these kinds of desperate need, this, these times were, were, it was just so palpable. God was so palpable. Right? He liked it. Because God never failed. And you guys know why Mueller did this, right? He, he, over his lifetime, he, he, uh, he took care, educated, evangelized over 20,000 orphans. And you know why he didn't? why he did it. It wasn't because he was a do-gooder. It wasn't because he was a humanitarian. You know why he did it. His stated purpose was that God would be glorified in the eyes of his people. Amen? That God would be glorified in the eyes of his people. That's why he did it. Obviously, the, the orphans benefited, but it wasn't principally about the orphans. It was about the glory of God. And I would say this to you, beloved. 
That's what our lives should be about, our very short, vapor-like lives. Bringing glory to God. A verbal and practical living out of God's faithfulness and God's goodness. Mueller and his thousands of orphans survived every day because Yahweh's faithful, because Yahweh's good. That's the only reason. He never asked a man for anything. He never fundraised. He never, uh, yeah, asked for anything. He simply, he made the the need known, and then he asked God. And God answered him. Every time. So I challenge every Christian in this room to never forget Jeremiah's words and always live them out. In his darkest hour, the prophet writes, and I'm back in Lamentations 3.21. When it gets really, really bad, he says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness says, indeed. Never fail. For his compassions never fail. They are true every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks. What beautiful words. Beautiful words. So I hope you leave. I know most of you were convinced when you came in. Hope as you leave, you have a renewed love and joy and respect for the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. The good news is, right? We'll be with him soon. We'll be with him soon. Won't be long. And I know I said this to you multiple times, but one thing I look forward to in getting to the new heaven and new earth, getting to the other side, getting to be in the presence of God, is I will then have the mental capacity and the physical stamina to worship Him in a worthy manner. Because I often feel very, shall I say, lacking in that regard. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having the, just the, you know, the focus without your, your, your temporal mind running off somewhere? You have this focus, you have this energy, you can just worship Yahweh until you get tired, which we won't ever get tired. We'll just worship Him. He is worthy. Let's pray together.